Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. Good morning, Grace Community. Good to see you. So uh, I took uh, my family to Waterworld a few weeks ago. We uh, try to do that uh, every year. We like that place. And um, if you pay 79 extra dollars, uh, you can get a fast pass. And what that does, it allows you to like cut in front of everybody else. And um, I've never bought a fast pass. I'm just too cheap, right? And, uh, but they come through and we were in this, they have like a roller coaster thing, this ride. And we got to this sign and it says 30 minutes from this point. Like, okay, well, we can wait 30 minutes for this ride. And so we're waiting. But these fast pass people just, they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And it took an hour and a half for us to get to that ride. I was so frustrated. And I've taught my children, we hate fast pass people. They're just evil. <laughs> and uh, I've tried and they're like, uh, my kids are like, no, you're just cheap, dad. Why won't you get us? Why don't you get us a fast pass? But it's so unfair that, you know, we have to wait and, you know, that they get to just cut right in front of us. It just doesn't seem right. But, you know, I wonder what they think, what the fast pass people think. I've never been one. So I wonder what, you know, I've noticed that they don't make eye contact with the rabble as they go through. They just kind of pass us up. But they probably think, hey, we paid our 79 bucks. So this is fair, you know. If you want it, then you pay your 79 bucks. And everyone, every child Every child has said, well, that's not fair. And what has every parent said? Life's not fair, right? We know that. Life's not fair. And uh, we're in this series right now. It's called Honest Doubts. And we're asking these questions, these big questions that we struggle with in terms of our faith. And one of the questions, one of the difficulties we have, a big complaint is God's not fair. When you think about salvation, only by faith in Jesus I mean, it's so exclusive, right? It just doesn't seem fair. It's unfair. And fair, that's a big human value. I mean, there's a lot of big arguments that are going on in culture right now that are all about what's fair and what's not fair. And that everybody, you know, the idea of fair is, well, everybody gets the same thing. And I guess the question I have is, where did we hear that? Where do you see that? Do you see that in creation? Where do we get this idea that everybody should have the same thing? And so I looked, I, I searched the word fair in scripture. I looked at every time that you see the word fair. And did you know that there's not one, there's not a single verse in the Bible that says that God is fair. Doesn't happen once. Now, it does say that he's merciful, he's loving, he's kind, he's good, he's able, he's trustworthy, he's true, he's just, doesn't say that he's fair. And it's a, you know, this world is proud, proud, profoundly concerned with what's fair, but God, he's profoundly concerned with what's just, what's right, what's true. That's what we see comes out of the character of God. So I want to show you a, a passage here in Matthew 20 where we find that fair, it's just a matter of perspective here. And, and so let's look at Matthew 20, verse 1, and let's see how fair this story is that Jesus tells. And it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, so that's a day's wages for the day, and sent them into his vineyard. 
About the third hour, so three hours later, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour, and then three more hours later, the ninth hour, and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, when there's just one hour left in the working day, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius or a day's wages. So then those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a day's wages. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? This is a great, great question. Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, did you notice who didn't complain about the wages? The guy who worked an hour, right? And here's the truth, guys. We don't really expect the world to be fair. We just want it to be unfair in our favor. That's really what we're hoping for here. And see, the only way to declare what's fair is to compare. And I think that's why this isn't such a value for God. The only way we know, is this fair or not, the only reason they would say, hey, it's not fair what you're paying me is because they say, hey, well, what about him? And what about that guy? And that's not fair. You should treat all of us exactly the same. And Jesus says, well, well, why isn't it fair? I said that I would pay them a denarius. I made good on my word. Why is that not fair? It's kind of like we've got this picture of uh, this house here. I think it's in Italy. It is not fair that one guy gets to live there. Right? And I found a picture. This is, if you Google uh, the most average house in America, this is what comes up. And so it's not fair that I have to live in a house kind of like this one, and that guy gets to live in a house like that one. Unless, of course, you are a guy who lives in this house. Then it's not fair that I get to live in that house. And it's not fair to this guy unless you're the guy who lives here. Then that's not fair. Do you get it? It all depends on what we're comparing to, right? How come this guy gets that, that guy gets that? And the only way we can say what's fair or what's not fair is if we are comparing. Here, here's, here's another example here. So we live, we live here. Isn't that beautiful? That's our home. And so there's a few more cars on Townsend probably than that, at least in the summer, right? But where I come from, where I grew up, there's uh, the, the 750,000 people live there. And it's not fair that they have to live there, but we get to live here. But don't tell them. (laughs) Don't let them know. We like that that's unfair, right? It's not fair. And see, listen, a life of comparison, it's just, it's a life of misery. A life of comparison is a life of complaints and anger and crossed arms and absolute dissatisfaction because you will never be satisfied. There's always someone who has it better. There's always someone who has a better deal. And you're never going to see yourself clearly. You're never going to measure up. You're going to always be able to say, well, they have a better husband, a better wife, a better life. 
They've got a better faith. Whatever it is, they got a better house. And you're never gonna measure up because you're always comparing. Or what you're gonna do is you're gonna have this false sense of superiority, which come on, admit it, we do it. Well, at least I'm better than them. What a miserable life comparison brings. And do you know what's not fair? You know what's supremely unfair? Grace. Grace is so unfair. I mean, it's the least, un, the least fair thing in the world. I sin and Jesus is punished. That's unfair. I cause brokenness in this world and he comes, puts me back together and makes me whole. I fail and I get accepted. What? I'm faithless, I'm weak, I act like a coward and he loves me. He accepts me. Grace is so unfair. And see, that's the point of this parable. If you come to Jesus when you are three years old and you serve him faithfully and give your life to him, or you come to Jesus when you are 93 years old and you serve him for two last breaths, you get the same grace. You get the same reward. I mean, think about it. Paul, in his adult life, he comes to Jesus and he serves him his whole life. And he's beaten and he's shipwrecked and he's stoned and, and he's beheaded for the, for the cause of Christ. And then we take the thief on the cross who did what? Nothing. And they have the exact same paradise. I mean, heaven is probably one of the most unfair things in the world. Why do I get to be saved? Why am I forgiven? Why do I get to be a child of God? I mean, what did I do? And the answer is nothing. I had nothing. Jesus did it for me. Jesus did it to me. But we have this question, well, is Christianity fair? Because it seems, it seems so exclusive, right? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Is Christianity exclusive? Yes. All truth is exclusive. See, no, no, listen, okay, so if the speed of light in a vacuum, it's 299,792.258 kilometers per, per second. If that's the speed of light in a vacuum, what about all the other speeds? Don't they get to be the speed of light too? No. What about 300,000 kilometers per second? I mean, that's only 207 kilometers off. How come it, how unfair that it doesn't get to be the speed of light? See, but if it is true, then something else is untrue, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, okay, no, no, what about perspective, right? I mean, come on, that, don't we hear it all the time? Well, that's true for you, and that's true for you, right? It reminds me of a skit. I, I think it was Saturday Night Live. I was so young, um, but there was this time where they were, they were looking for uh, the Antichrist, and they knew that they were going to find the Antichrist because he had 666 written on his head. And so this guy is sitting on a couch, and the guy comes back behind him and lifts his hair up and looks at it. He says, oh, this guy's okay. It's 999. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> now, is that a six or is it a nine? It's just a matter of perspective, right? Truth is a matter of perspective. Unless the claim is absolute. All right? So you can say that's fast. That is it's completely subjective. It's fast for what? A turtle? Or it's fast for a rocket? Very different things. 
But if you were making an absolute claim like that is the speed of light in a vacuum or it isn't, it's either true or it's false. Absolutes do not care if you believe in them or not. You can say, well, from my perspective, the world is flat. I've never been around the whole world. It looks flat to me. Everything in my experience says the world is flat. Guess what? The world doesn't care. It's round. Whether you think so, whether you've experienced it so, whether all your experiences have told you that it's flat. I'm, I don't know if we have any flat earthers, but I'm sorry. It's round. Okay? We can't get around it. Scripture gives us an absolute claim, an exclusive claim, Acts 4.12. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is an absolute claim. It is either true or it is false. He is either the way or he is no way. And if we are sinners, there is one Savior. And if we are broken, there is one solution. And if you and I, if we have an evil nature or there is evil within us, there is only one way to take care of it. It is either true or it's not true. Christianity is like the Macintosh computer of faiths. It does not integrate with other systems at all. It's either that way or no way. And like most truth, it completely excludes all untruths. So if someone says to me, well, why is Christianity so exclusive? I would say, because it's true. But then I would say, and it is also so incredibly inclusive that it is available to anyone. And it's given to everyone. It's so unlike so many other faiths. It's not about your discipline. It's not about how hard you can work. It's not about your ability to transcend or to be a good this or a good that. It is available for anyone who would just come to Jesus and humble themselves before him. Anyone. God wants everyone to be saved. God doesn't want anyone to perish. In our parable here, it shows the same grace. It is available to every single person, whether you are a drug lord or a preacher, whether you're a prostitute or a preacher. We all have the same problem and there is wickedness within us, brokenness. I have a a dear friend of mine who made a big mistake recently, I mean a doozy, and we were talking about it. And at the end, he says, Carl, just thank you for not judging me. And I said, "Oh, oh, bro, it's in me. I mean, I'm only one or two stupid choices away from that same mistake. We all are, it's in us. And then he says, yeah, yeah, but but thank you for for not thinking I'm bad. And I said, oh, no, I think you're bad. (laughs) I'm bad. You're just not any more bad than I am. We're all bad, right? And so, but then the question is, well, well, that doesn't seem fair. If we're all bad, then why does God make such a big deal out of our badness? Well, here's the first thing. He is not bad at all. There is no evil in him. There's no corruption in him. He is perfect. He is good. He is righteous. He is completely holy. And he has a requirement, therefore, for complete justice. And he can't pretend things are good when they're not. That's what we do. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Right inside, we're like, I hate you. I'm never talking again. We're good. It's okay. No, but God doesn't do that. He's not going to be dishonest. 
And what's fair when it comes to the other people that you've hurt? What's fair to the, when it comes to the people I've hurt? Listen, I hate to say it, but I am the villain in a few people's stories. And what's fair to them? And what's fair to me in the middle of that? I mean, imagine someone, if you have children, or even if you don't, imagine that you did, imagine someone abused your child. Don't you think that should be dealt with? Right? But here we are, and we have abused his children, and we have misused his creation, and we want him just to say, oh, it's okay. Listen, why does God make such a big deal out of sin? Because sin is a big deal, and that's our problem. We don't get it. We just think, oh, it's okay. See, the problem is not, why do some people not go to heaven? Why are some people not saved? The problem is, how can anyone be saved? The problem is, why does anybody get to go to heaven? See, and something had to be done. And the only sacrifice that was going to take care of it was Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the one who had never sinned, who comes and pays the penalty for sin, which is death, and he dies, the perfect sacrifice. You see, because we can't fix it, and we can't make it right, and we can't do anything to pull the stuff all back together, and that, his sacrifice is the only thing that can, and that's not fair, and I thank God, thank you, that it's not fair. See, the tragedy of this parable that we read, you know what the real tragedy is? It's the people who decided, nah, I don't want to go. I've got an uncle, he's got another thing going, I'll see if he comes by to pick me up. Got something else going on, no, no thank you. See, he issued the invitation. The best thing that you can do is accept it. The most tragic thing you can do is reject it. But I know the question, because it's the same question I have. Which is, well, what about those who've never heard? What about those who've never received the invitation? Well, well that's not fair. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, you can be absolutely 100% certain that God's judgments and decisions are more right and more fair and more good than the ones you and I could ever make. And you can be certain that he is more merciful and he is more loving and he is more kind than you will ever be. And you can be absolutely positive that when we stand there on judgment and we will be judged and we stand before God and at every single judgment that you and I see, we will say that is right, that is good, that is just. We will say that is correct. And see, my struggle here is that I want God to fit into my box and he just won't comply. He's too big for us to understand. And there's some things about him that just don't fit our sensibilities and I'm glad because that just proves that he's God. But the scriptures actually help us with this. Did you know that the Bible gives you an answer for what happens to people who don't hear? Go to Romans 2. The Bible talks directly about this. It's Romans 2, verse 12. And Paul tells us, all who sin apart from the law. So what he's talking about is people who have never heard the law, never heard the commands of Moses. They haven't read their Bibles. They don't know what the law is. Will also perish apart from the law. And then all who sin under the law. So if you've heard the law, you're accountable for it. And you will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the Gentiles, so those who don't know, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts also now accusing them, now even defending them. 
This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So what we find here in 2.12 uh, is that you will be judged for what you know and you will be judged for what you've heard. And you will be judged if you know the law, you'll be judged for how you kept the law. And if you don't know the law, then you will be judged. But here's the problem. Who here hasn't even broken their own moral code? Has anybody here said, I shouldn't do that. Why did I do that? Has anybody here not said that? See, the problem is this law written in our hearts, we know it and we've broken it, even if it's our own laws and our own, we haven't even met our own standard for righteousness. And we are responsible for our actions. So the question is not, why is God sending those people to hell? The question is, why aren't you and I telling everyone about his great rescue mission to save them to heaven? He doesn't send people to hell, he saves people to heaven. And listen, he gives us the great commission. He says, you do this, and then we blame him for our failure to fulfill it. He gave it to us. Guys, there are real consequences for turning away from the gospel. There are real consequences for how you and I handle the Great Commission. So there are many cultures right now that are being affected by the decisions that their forefathers made concerning the gospel. And we think, well, well, is that fair? Well, you know what? You and I are living in amazing blessing and amazing freedom because we deserve it so much. No, because our forefathers took a stand for freedom we get the benefits. Do, do you think that we are more deserving of freedom than people in North Korea? Do we deserve it more? Listen, w w people are gonna benefit or suffer from our choices concerning the gospel. Your choice concerning the gospel, how you share it and how you accept it will affect people on down the line for generations. There are real consequences for what we do. Americans, there are real consequences for what we do with freedom right now that will affect generations. And it's in our hands. And our acceptance of the truth and the gospel has real consequences. God doesn't send people to hell. God rescues people from heaven and he put it in our hands to give it to them. And that's one of the reasons that we've been talking for the last number of months that each one of us needs to lead one person to Jesus. And we're praying and believing, and I pray for this often for you, that you will reach and lead one person to Jesus by Thanksgiving. And the way that we're doing it is prayer, care, share. So every interaction, every person you know, you can pray for them, you can care, which is just show them God's love, be kind, live the gospel to them. And listen, church, there's a lot of us that gotta do this last one. It's time we share. We give them the reason for the hope we have. We give them a chance. We at least extend the invitation to it. And he put it in our hands. And so right now, I just want to take a minute because you know what? Time is so short. And I got to ask, what are we doing? What are you doing with the Great Commission? What am I doing with the Great Commission? It has real consequences. And time is short. And so let's just take a minute right now and let's pray for our one, okay? Can we do that? And so I'm gonna ask God to bring them to your mind if you don't know who they are and then just pray, start to intercede, begin the prayer part. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come right now and that you would show every single one of us 
One person, Lord, that you want us to reach out to. God, just show us one person that you've put in our path, Lord, that we can change their destiny, we can change the generations that are connected with them. Now what I want you to do is just pray for that person. Intercede for that person right now. Lord God, we just ask that you would soften their hearts. Lord, that you would prepare the soil. And Lord, we ask for a chance. We ask for an opportunity, Lord, even if we have to build the opportunity, that you would give us an opportunity to share the invitation. And Lord, we just say, here we are, send us, use us, we'll do it, God. If you just give us a chance, we'll do it. Lord, I pray that they would come to know the truth that will last forever for them. In Jesus' name. You know, the, the parable of the workers, it, it gives us an answer to this question about what of, of those who haven't heard. And the answer is simply, they're invited to. They're welcome to come. And we gotta tell them. And is it fair? I don't know if it's fair, but it's beautiful. It's true. It's amazing. It's beyond anything I could imagine. You know, I've got, my oldest daughter is 24 and my youngest daughter is 10. And so I get the complaints I always have from the younger ones, like, well, how come that sister gets an iPhone and I don't? Or how come they get to stay out till midnight and I can't? And what do I say? I just have to say, you just have to trust me. Just trust me. A 10-year-old doesn't need to stay out till midnight. Where would you go? (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? So much of our turmoil, so much of our difficulty, it comes. You know where it comes from? The lack of our trust in the goodness of God. And, And so we think, well, how about fear? What's fear? Isn't it that we lack trust in his promises? And you could say, oh, no, no, well, I believe in his promises. Well, then maybe you you don't believe in his character. You don't trust his character. No, I believe in his character. Then it's like, well, then you don't trust that he's really mindful of you. You don't trust that he's paying attention to you. So many of our problems come that we just don't really trust. I mean, what's sin? Isn't, not all, but isn't most sin that we have this real need or we have this real brokenness and we have a lack of trust that God will actually take care of us? So we run out and we do it our way and we sin and we mess it up. Or what's envy, right? Isn't it just the lack of trust that God will give me what I need? Isn't it a lack of trust that what I have, sure, it's not what they have, but it's enough and God is enough? And see, there's two lenses that we can bring to this topic here. And we can put the first one on and just everything that we see, you know, that God is stingy and he's judgy and he's angry and he's callous and is unfair. And if those are the lenses, then we think, okay, yeah, see, God, he excludes people. And God makes exceptions and he withholds and he hides. Or or we can take those lenses off and we can say, no, you know, I know God and God is good and God is just and he is loving and God is kind. And we have those lenses on. We know that he's reaching and he's pursuing and he's rescuing and he's chasing after us. And he's like that father who, who's looking and waiting for the prodigal son to come home, just hoping, looking out the window, is he there today? Is he there today? And then when he sees him, then he comes running after him because he's so desperate for us and he loves us so much. Is that how you know God? Because that's who he is. And if you wear those first set of glasses, then you shake your fist and you cross your arms and you turn your back 
But if you wear that second set of glasses, then you join in on the rescue mission because you know he's here to save and you know he's here to love and you know how good he is and you can't just sit there and watch people turn their back on him. Listen, if he is willing to sacrifice his own son for you, the last thing we can say is that he's stingy. If he's willing to die for us and take our punishment, are we really gonna come before him and say, oh, you're so unfair? And what can we do? What can we do but just to praise him for what he's done? What can we do but just to praise him for who he is? What can we do but just to join him in this amazing rescue mission where Jesus came and he paid it all? All to him we owe. And we had this crimson stain of sin and he's washed it white as snow. He's so good, he's so loving, he's so kind. Father, I just thank you for your goodness. Lord, and there's things that I don't understand and there's ways that sometimes this offends me and and even the gospel is offensive sometimes, Lord. But I know you're good. I know you're just and I know you're true. And so, Lord, I just come to you with great thanksgiving and great humility, Lord. And I'm just so, so thankful that you invited me in, Lord, and that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and that I'm clean. And Lord, it is the way. You are the truth and you are the life. And God, I ask that you would stir our hearts right now that you just raise it up within us, Lord. You have given us the great commission. You have given us the gospel and it is our responsibility to go forward in it, Lord. And God, I just ask forgiveness for the times that we've hid it under the bushel, the times that we've kept it quiet, Lord. And Lord, this is not a secret to be kept, Lord. This is the truth of life. This is the way to God that the world needs to hear. And Lord, I pray that our lives would proclaim it. Our actions would proclaim it and our mouths would proclaim it. And we come before you right now just with great gratitude. Thank you for paying the price for our sin, Lord. Thank you that we are washed and we are made new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.